I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. My guest this episode on Thriving Matters podcast is Paul Shepherd. Now, for many of us, our daily thriving is really important and we have different concepts on how we do thrive. So the podcast, as you know, listeners, is all about ordinary guys and gals doing extraordinary things in life and work. And it's my great pleasure to say good morning, Paul. And it's nice to talk to someone in Australia. How are you? Fantastic, Gary. Thanks so much for for (laughs) inviting me on and great to be here and looking forward to our conversation. Well, I'm sure it's going to be a ripper because I've done a little bit of homework on you um, and you're really into milestones and the lessons that we we have, but you're also into human design. So I think the notion of our thriving and what our blueprint for life is, is such a great relationship. It's going to be a great mix. So I'm excited for, for what we're going to be talking about. But before we start... Usually I ask everyone, what is it that gets you out of bed each day? What is it that you'd like to tell us all? Gets you out of bed each day and gets that smile on your face? Mm, That's a good question. (laughs) How do I put words around that? Probably um, purpose. (laughs) if If I reflect back on life and I think about when I've been most driven, most excited, most motivated, it's when I've got a purpose. And I've spent my whole life trying to find that. And I'm 43 at the time of this recording. And it wasn't until three years ago that I figured that out. So I've had many things that excite me, but then finding out your purpose and who you really are and what you're designed for, that's game changing. Every day is um, exciting because the world opens up opportunities that you never dreamed. So purpose. So that's 40 years that you spent exploring and uh, thriving really um, through the ups and downs because thriving isn't easy. It's, it looks glamorous. It sounds glamorous, but you know what? It isn't, it isn't actually glamorous all the time, is it? Um, and so during those 40 years, Paul, there would have been a few things that as a young man growing up in Australia, you would have gotten up to. Uh, so would you like to give us a little bit of a potted history of those first 40 years. Are you able just to tell us, you know, what it was like being poor um, from, from zero up to 40? Yeah, okay, sure. Um, so <clears throat> I never went to university. I think you know, I make that clear to people is I, I did well at school when I was interested and when I applied myself, but I found most of the content at school quite boring. So that was my, my feedback. When If Paul applies himself, he does really well, but Paul doesn't actually apply himself. It's just like, because <laughs> you're boring. So that was the first thing. And then, um, but things that like, like photography and health and stuff, I did really well at science. But um, fast forward, there was this end of school. So it's like, well, what do I do? I've got, I've got no idea. You know, parents were trying to push me into an academic career and I just didn't feel like that was me. Um, started my first business doing personal training. And I thought I need to impact people. I want to help more people. So let's get the business because business, I can have more impact and um, spent a few years in corporate and realized there's no, no job security in that after the first three years of being offered three redundancies. Um, so started another business and then actually two businesses and made a lot of money doing that, went bust doing that. Then I thought, you know what? I can't think my way out of this. I need to change focus. So that was probably the, the worst period of my life at 25 to lose your mentors, your friends, your finances, to get into a lot of debt um, and just people taking advantage of you. Cause there was things I didn't know that I didn't know. Mm. Um, obviously I was very ambitious and trying to be the, you know, the best I could be, but other people saw that as being the smartest guy in the room, which is a fatal error. And um, at that point I thought I'd 
join the military, right? Figure out what, uh, what can I learn there? How far can I push myself? So I did that. Again, didn't feel like I fit in mm. and got out after four years, went back to corporate thinking, all right, I'll change, change course. I'll get into business innovation and, you know, optimization and things like that. And I had a knack for that, but I didn't fit in because like, I couldn't figure out why. So I've had this up and down, up and down, many businesses, many failures, many mm. successes, can make a lot of money, typically lose it. And there was always this question, it's like, what is it? What am I here for? So there was this burning thing from a very young age, like what on earth am I here for? And I knew there was something bigger and better. And I could sense things like we had this pollution problem, right? Whether the earth's going to end because of pollution or not wasn't a question. It was, I don't like going to a, a beautiful city where it's so polluted and the mm. waterways are so beautiful, but they're polluted. The fresh water, it's polluted. The fish are dying. Mm. So I had this affinity and this connection to the planet on some level. And I spent uh, probably the last 20 years trying to find answers to the world's biggest problems. And the last seven or eight years is when I've kind of crystallized all of that and I'm still learning. So it wasn't until three years ago that I sort of came out of a, another business, the Global Health Project, trying to solve a global health crisis, um, quite a big project. And then <clears throat> that all came crashing down as well. And I another time to reflect, retreat, surrender. And I came across human design. And mm. um, you know, I spent probably half a million dollars in the last 25 years on personal development, spiritual development, traveling the world, going to all these events, meeting people. I hear it, I'd watch a documentary, I'd call up the person and say, hey, can I have a session with you? And they'd say, <laughs> sure, what are you willing to pay me? And I'd, I'd, I'd pay them and <clears throat> I might go and see them. And that was how I learned because there were things I was, I was interested in mm. and things that I could see that there were solutions to problems that I was experiencing. So through that, you know, a lot of money, a lot of time, but still wasn't any clearer on who I was. So uh, three years ago, Human Design had a two to three hour session and that just literally unpacked the last 25 years of my life. And I thought, my gosh, why on earth did, did nobody give me this when I was at school? Why did no one tell me this? You know, there was this, all these ups and downs and suffering. And in, in less than three hours, I had absolute clarity as to why I'm here, who I am, and why all these occurrences happened over 25 years. It was just, it slapped me across the head so hard. <laughs> so it, it, in a way, it was an awakening. Um, yeah. That's what, and it's it's interesting. I, I, we'll delve into what human design is, but you, um, you're... Um, a soul-inspired transformational coach, and that's that's how you describe yourself now. And you've you've just given us a great um, example of skills that we develop through being directed, uh, listening listening to those who who we you know who we perhaps have a relationship with or or believe that you know their advice is is good and strong and they know us what's best for us um i grew up in a just um in a family where four of us were moved into were, were encouraged to go into teaching because um that was a great career for when we had our families so there was an expectation that you would have a family that you'd be married, not live with anybody that you'd be married, that you'd actually be able to to have a career and and a family at the same time. So looking back on it, um, our voice, our voice in that decision wasn't wasn't strong, wasn't there because that that and it was probably a a, um, a decade generational um, attitude thing as well that uh, you respect your elders they'll, they'll know what's best for you they'll you know help you with a with the first start but that road to self-discovery that soul journey that you've been on which I've got a visual of you with your arms out spanned on the top of a cliff going yep this is the soul journey I'm on I'm you know I'm willing to go off off the top or climb up or down again um to do the discovery. It's it's awesome, isn't it? I like the using the word awesome. A-W-E, it's the all word. It's a great and and what else come is is a, a breakdown of that uh, word or, but it's awesome um, because you've you've had the opportunity to do that and continue to do it. So how lucky were you to have 40 years, <laughs> 40 years where you could you could actually get to this point. <laughs> 
That's a different way of looking at something. It sounds sexy in hindsight, right? Doesn't it? But um, when you're going through the ups and downs, it's challenging, especially when you've got family and friends around you who are, who yeah. are, who are stacking their success. You know, they've got one success to the next, to the next, to the next, whereas I've had up and down and starting from scratch. Yeah. And that hurts. You get to 30 and you think, wow, okay, I'm, I'm starting from scratch again at 30. And then at 37, I'm starting from scratch again. Mm. You know, so it's, it's, it's painful. And you lose your confidence, you lose your self-esteem, you, you really doubt yourself. And you get people saying to you, but Paul, why don't you just go get a normal job? Why don't you just go and become a, a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant or an architect or something and just have a stable job? And it's just like, I can't. I, I, I'd rather be dead. You know, it's not in me yeah. to do that. I haven't, I'll figure it out one day, but I just haven't figured it out yet. So just, <laughs> just, just give me a break, you know, support and, and as you said, rightfully said, Carrie, you know, people, people back then and my parents obviously didn't have that level of mind or that awareness nor access to the information to be able to give you that guidance, right? Mm. Especially back in my parents' era, it wasn't very, you know, in terms of the spiritual aspect and the, the heavy indoctrination and programming that was going on, mm. it was at its peak. Mm. So, um, so, yeah, at the time it's tough, but um, there's, there's something inside you that keeps pushing you to to where you're supposed to be, even though you might retreat that sometimes and take a step back and just accept the fact that you need a job to pay the bills. Um, <laughs> you keep pushing on. That, that's it, isn't it? It's, um, it's, I mean, listeners, you, you'd resonate with this as well. Um, every one of us has a story to tell. Um, and to me, there's no competition in, in the story. They're just, they're different stories, but they're, they're wholesome. And what they're showing us are, are how we transverse the, the good and the bad, the surprises, the challenges, the desires um, uh, against our values. And over time, as we, um, as we get older and we start to creak a little bit more um, um, and we get greyer, um, you know, we do develop some supposedly some wisdom over this, but I think it's more about what we've learnt on the journey through. Um, and it's like a blossoming of um, the person perhaps that you're meant to be after a lot of the, um, a lot of the, your decisions are probably based on your upbringing or what you've learnt from your upbringing, the way you, you've, you've developed. But being able to be able to make decisions because you know yourself and what you need I think is the gold in all the thriving yeah so yeah so tell me now what is it about your work that you absolutely love Paul so much <laughs> so I, I played a few things so I still do a little bit of consulting in the in the business transformation space I've got sort of 15 years experience doing that so uh, I get results and I actually enjoy that. I actually enjoy getting a result for someone. If I can't get a result, I don't want to do business. Um, but in terms of the coaching stuff, you know, I think a lot of successful entrepreneurs, how do they create their business? It was a problem they had to begin with. Mm. They figured out a solution and they thought, wow, if I've got this problem, surely there's someone else that's got the same problem. And that's essentially how this came to be. And what drives me with that is, you know, I see so much suffering going on in the world and, so many people in, in their jobs that hate it, they're grinding it out on a day-to-day -day basis. <clears throat> they, they know there's something more or they believe they, something more is possible, but they don't know how to bridge the gap. And I believe and always had believed the answers are there. We've just got to uncover them. So for me, it's this, this 25 years of personal learning outside the mainstream education system that I've managed to condense and I thought, right, okay, I've wasted so much time. And um, how can I help others do the same? Because if, if humanity is operating at a different frequency of, of all these emotions of joy and fulfillment and happiness and love and compassion, because they're doing what they love doing and they have a sense of purpose, then what we're broadcasting into the field as a collective, it's like a ripple effect. And that's what drives me. You know, if, if you've got a corporation, let's say with a hundred people, and you know 90 of those people are rocking up to work bitter and angry every single day it's going to affect the remaining 10. oh and it's contagious it's it's totally. it's actually contagious i love that phrase broadcasting into the field um yeah. 
I tend to um, think in images as well. I often use metaphor and and uh, it's it's a bit like the butterfly effect that everybody knows so well. Yeah. You know, if we all just do it, and I know listeners in other, other episodes, you, you'll often hear me talk about the opportunity we've got at the moment to all flap our wings just a little bit more and take a step forward together for goodness and um, kindness for humanity. So it's, it's really human-centred and heart-centred leadership that we're yes. looking at here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In hindsight's a wonderful thing. If you'd had some foresight as a, as, um, a, along the way, I suppose you've already answered this. What would you have done differently? But you've, you're now doing differently to what you've always done. I wonder if you've got any other insights into, because I heard you say a couple of times of waste of of the time I've wasted. So I'd like to challenge you a bit on that and go, was it really wasted time or was it necessary to actually go through it? I mean, there's a there's a concept there that sometimes we have to go through this. Absolutely. So, yeah, I suppose I'm, I'm asking you, you know, with hindsight, would you would you have done anything differently? Or was there, a, was there something you didn't listen to early on? A lot of things I didn't listen to. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the hindsight that I look back on, I think. You know, you hear about that whole, the, the feather, the pebble, the rock, the brick, the truck. You know, that analogy of <laughs> not paying attention. Down. Yeah, that's what happened many times to me. So yeah. it was, that went on. Uh, I had that probably a uh, dozen times in my life because I wasn't paying attention. I was trying to use my mind to make decisions, but not listening to the intuition. And that was my biggest lesson. And learning to surrender, my personality type, if things get difficult, I just dig my heels in and work harder. I'm like, I will not fail, you know? And <laughs> maybe that was part of my, some of my mentors and people I'd learned from, you know, that whole hustle culture. Yeah. You know, just work harder, grind it out, harder, harder, harder. Uh-uh. It's the exact opposite. You know, you gotta work hard, sure. You can dedicate yourself and be disciplined, but if you're having to grind things out every day, what I found was I was I was pushing success further away from me. Right, I'd call that. I'd say you had grit, not necessarily the grind. Grit, it yes. was, it's sort of the grit. And um, if you think about grit, you know, you get something and you've eaten something that's a bit gritty, so they have you haven't washed the lettuce properly, you know. Um, and you think, oh, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's something that's really making you feel vulnerable. I might crunch my teeth. I might lose a filling on this. Um, I might choke, all that sort of stuff. Um, it's sort of a, um, to me, it's a good word to, to, to use. I, lo- I quite like the word grit. But, you know, you've faced hurdles. So what do you believe, apart from, tell us a little bit more about your intuition, because I believe that's probably one of the traits that you have or traits of behavior um, to help you with um, the the hurdles that you've you've absolutely jumped in the last 40 years yeah it's a good point i think that's our that's our real guiding force carrie you know it's it's i was so in my head there was so much ego when you're younger the testosterone the male the whole wanting to be successful and whatnot and i couldn't hear my intuition I could sense it. I could feel that there was this discomfort, but I, I would never listen to it because I was so fixated on achieving a, a certain level of material success because that's what is expected of a, of a man, especially in society. Mm-hmm. So when you see your friends around you, you've got you know a certain um, type of education and certain indoctrination programs running. That's what you listen to. So for me, it was really like, how do I shut this thing up? and start listening to the heart and the body and that's what i've a major breakthrough for that was with human design in being able to listen to my decision making strategy right so that basically taught me how my body communicates with me and when to kind of when when to push through and to have grit and when and not to and for me it was really simple that there was two signposts it's frustration or satisfaction you know if if I'm experiencing frustration, it's a, it's a no, like you're off track, Paul. If I'm feeling satisfied, keep going. And it really was that simple. And I had to train myself to, to understand that. And um, obviously there's many other factors, but getting in touch with your intuition, your body always knows the answer. 
it's, it's infinitely more powerful than the mind. Okay, great segue, because I'm dying to ask you about human design. So let's just continue this. This is, this is great. <laughs> so satisfied frustration and the body. Um, I, I mentioned earlier before, you know, sometimes we start to creak. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a couple of decades older than you, and, um, and I'm, I'm definitely starting to, to, to feel the creaks, right? So uh, we often, you know, as you're getting older, everyone starts to talk. The conversation just goes to health issues. It seems to be infinitum. And our reliance on, on medication, particularly for a lot of our health issues, is massive. But I'm a big believer in being able to move being able to, to actually keep moving. So how do I keep moving? I actually have to put a few things in place myself. So I've just gone to a very literal definition of, of human design, but I want you to just expand it for us. I'm sure our listeners are really, really interested in this. Awesome. Um, it's great. And I, I'm, I'm encouraging more people to tune in because it's been so transformational for a lot of people. Um, I'll ask a really simple question. I ask a lot of people, and this is for listeners too. How many submarines do you see flying around in the sky? <laughs> it's a terrible question, right? Answer is none. Yeah. And why not? It's because submarines weren't designed to fly. Flat out. They were not designed to fly. They were designed to go into the ocean. And humans are the same. We all have a different design. And most of us are trying to do things we're not designed to do. And that's the short answer. So what is human design? It's a, it's a synthesis of four different... Uh, types of astrology, you get the Western astrology, the Brahman chakra system, the Kabbalah street of life, and the Chinese I Ching, and that's synthesized with quantum physics. So you've got the most advanced profiling system on the planet that is ancient in nature, but modern in its delivery. So what you have is essentially a blueprint to the soul or a blueprint to your DNA, and it's all based on neutrinos. So neutrinos, and people can look this up on Wikipedia or Google, just Google neutrino, N-E-U-T-R-I-N-O, and it's just energy that comes off stars. And this energy that comes off stars bypasses planets. So just imagine this stream of energy flowing through the galaxy and the cosmos. And every planet it passes, it picks up different energy signatures until it hits you at the minute that you're born. Right, so you essentially are born with this energetic imprint, which is a set of potentials. So think of it like a movie script. You're given the script at the day you're born, the moment you're born, but you then have to go and produce that script and turn it into your movie, into your blockbuster. doesn't mean it's going to happen, it's, but you've got more chance of making it a success than anybody else because it's your specific script. Right? So certain skills you will learn naturally and easily, but you still have to learn them. That's why some people are naturals at speaking. Uh, they're naturals at medicine. They're naturals at leading. They're naturals at art. Naturals at singing, dancing, whatever it is. All of them had to put in the effort and be disciplined. But the potential was already there. That's why some people are better at some things than others. Mm. So essentially, you know, you look at all the typical profiling systems out there that are in use today, and they're all psychology-based, which is less than 1% of the equation. And that's fundamentally where we've gone wrong. And I know I've been through this with, with, with military testing, with corporate. I've gone through the Myers-Briggs, the DISC, the Enneagram, the Gallup. And guess what? It's different every time. Yeah. And every time I answer those questions, it's not only is it mind-numbing, but it's just like, well, which, how do I answer this question? I can answer it one of 10 ways. Which one do you want me to answer it? I'll just answer what's most general. So that's the first problem. We're having to answer questions in a way that's not accurate. Therefore, poor data in we get bad data out so people are basing their career and their team building and their whole organizations off bad data in and getting a bad outcome mm. so the human design system and bg5 in particular is what i've been studying for the last few years is something i do want to bring into corporate because we can re-engineer teams so that people are 100 fulfilled doing what they're designed to do and thriving like i mean literally thriving in what they do and um, I think it's a paradigm shift in, in terms of how we, instead of trying to put labels on people, we want to take the labels off. And, you know, you look at 16 personalities, a lot of these systems have a, a finite number of different options. You know, even astrology talks about this, which, which zodiac sign are you? 
you know, 7.8 billion people do not fit into 12 buckets, I'm sorry. Um, there's, <laughs> there's much more specificity to this and, and, yeah. and the BG5 system is essentially 10 to the power of 54. There's 54 digits in this in terms of unique possibilities. That's more people than will probably ever walk the planet. So that's, that's a snapshot, if that makes sense. I, I, I met, well, I, my thinking is that, you know, in constructing all these different um, profiling tools that we, we, we use, it's, it's, it's been a way of helping us understand each other and the, the way of the world and what, we, what we've learnt so far. And, it, and I suppose we, we look back, um, people like Einstein, Michelangelo, um, they were far ahead of their time. Yeah. The, really, if we look back to, to the legacy they've left in the way they thought and then they were able to put their thinking into what they created or, or have left for us to, to, to look at and unpack. Um, and I suppose generationally, we, um, we don't discount what's gone before. We use it as a, as a, as a, as a learning tool, but we, we can go forward. And there'd be a few people, I think, Paul, that would say to you, what's this stuff all about, you know, energy from the stars? I mean, you know, are you star craving mad? But um, I'm going to go back to that awesome word, um, the awe in all this, is that it opens up other possibilities for thinking and potential. Um, and I often believe now that um, I look at, we've got some grandchildren and I look at their, the awe of their everyday living whilst they're little, their imagination, the way they can create um, something out of nothing, the way yeah. they, the, you know, the, the way they can either mimic or pick up or start to role play what they're, they're seeing, they're stereotyping, all that sort of stuff. And I think, I wonder then if what we're actually teaching in our schools is actually upside down and and not, not really what we need for in helping people reach their potential, not just reach the potential that we think as, um, as a, a globe um, with an economic basis, that there is an expectation that we've got to move you into this, this area for employment, this area for productivity or this area. Um, it's, it's, in a way, it's a controlling um, yeah, totally. <clears throat> I, mean, I mean, let's get real. The education system is over 100 years old, yet the economy has evolved dramatically and technology is about to replace 50% of jobs over the next decade. What's the education system doing about that? The answer is it's not. And as we evolve as a conscious race on this planet, um, yeah, I find that the biggest answers I've learned in the last decade are not from textbooks and not from the standard education model because that is all a control mechanism to mm. keep us boxed in in terms of our thinking. So absolutely agree. And this is why I think there's a lot of different education systems popping up, different trains yeah. of thought, different universities that are not traditional. They're teaching you about the, the esoterics. And what is esoteric? It's everything's just hidden in plain sight. Yeah. But to the untrained person, you can't see it. And um, <clears throat> there's things playing out on the earth right now that most people can't see because they weren't trained. And this has been the most fascinating uh, part of my journey is, is just this, this constant learning of uncovering different truths or, or more truth about this reality and how capable we really are because we're all creators. We're all creator beings. We just get that those onions, the layers of the onion wrapped around us and indoctrinated and programmed so we, we don't create. And uh, I think that's where the joy really is mm. and the fulfillment really is. The... Um... Uh, during during COVID, um, there were a whole there was a great report um, put out um, about the future of education um, that took took my attention, and we used it in a number of our thriving conversations with um, people uh, in education during um, a number of months. And very interesting, they used uh, scenarios as the basis for the discussion paper, and then put up the scenario: what if this happened? Blah blah blah. And then they said, well, have a look at what we found. It has already happened. And this is what was, this is what was developed in all different countries around the world. So where communities have come together, uh, retired people, um, people just giving up their time. And there was, it was all about learning and, and teaching, guiding, being, being that uh, facilitator of kids' learnings, where the whole community came together to share their expertise. 
there, there was a barter, whole lot of bartering systems. There were some amazing projects that are done. Fantastic. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it's already happening. And if we look um, with conversations that I had with a lot of people in education um, last year, um, in India, um, they were educating via the TV channels um, because there was something like a 12-month lockdown um, for India. That was the first phase. Now, I'm not sure they've been back in lockdown again with the second phase of the pandemic that, um, that they've had. Um, Bangladesh, uh, Myanmar, there's a been a military coup on. Um, most of the students, um, the Myanmar government um, had uh, uh, provided free access uh, for education for their for their young people through five apps. Um, and then, um, yeah, it's very, very interesting. Um, huge um, uptake of uh, internet access. Um, and then there are other apps that the kids learn through. Um, America, Canada, a lot of the kids haven't been back to school for about a year as well. Um, here in Australia, we've had minimal, we've had some lockdowns more in Victoria. But when we look at the rest of the world, very minimal compared to what's happened in Ireland, England, everywhere else, you know. And so the learning hasn't stopped. It's just been accessed in a different way. And these iPhones, whatever it is that we use, um, our kids are learning despite going to, into a classroom. So it's, it's an interesting point you make about education because there's a lot of people um, who are now supporting different ventures, different frameworks for thinking. Um, and I can instantly think of a number of them here in Australia, fantastic following, because we have some amazing educators. Um, and we also have those that are in a job yeah. um, because it's it's bread and butter. And, they, and, they, and they, that's quite happy. I'm not going to make a judgment on that, but they see that as their bread and butter and that's what they were trained for. And they, they're quite happy for that. Um, but I do think we're missing out on a whole lot of potential. Uh, so, Yeah, I agree. I, I might add something for your listeners too, Kerry. There's a book I read a few years ago called Anastasia. It's part of the, it's called the Ringing Cedar series, like as in uh -huh. Cedar Tree. And that was one of the most transformational books. Uh, specifically in, the, in that book, they talked about an education system in a school in the Tiger Forest in, in Russia. And this school, these kids, it's total immersion for one subject at a time. And there is no competition. They all collaborate. Yeah. And guess what? These kids are getting master's degrees by the age of 14, 15, sometimes even age of 10, 12. Yeah. And what's happened is they've had visitors come into the school to learn from that model. I'm talking about master's uh, students in Western society coming into the school. And these 14-year-old kids are actually teaching them topics because they're so much more advanced in the, in the subject matter. Yeah. because it's a collaborative approach and they all have to help each other through the through the exams and that's and I think you and I agree with this too but it's it's through the teaching that you master something isn't it yeah. it's one thing learning it in a textbook and remembering it but it's not until you teach something yeah and have to break it down and deconstruct it that you truly master something that's and that's right. what these kids have done and that's what this school is is famous for in this book and I mean I'd actually love to go there and see it um but that's that's evidence right there that there is a much, much better way. Um, and they're just subjects that are part of the mainstream curriculum. Yeah. We get all the other stuff they teach, like dance and all the spiritual stuff and whatnot. So I think that's what we need, which is more models like that. I'd love to see you bring something like that to the world. Oh, wouldn't that be? Oh, <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a nice little trip to Russia. Um, just to, and we can do that virtually. It doesn't, doesn't have to be face-to-face. -face. It's all possible. It's, technology has actually enabled us to stay and remain connected um, in, in a way that perhaps we, um, we may not have had if we hadn't, hadn't actually been living in this time. So it's a good thing. Now, I'm going to ask you, um, what are some of the things that you do for yourself every day to help in your thriving? Have you got some rituals or habits that are non-negotiable. They they are a must for you. Yeah, morning morning time. I mm -hmm. have to have my morning time. Usually the sunrise. Sunrise. There's a whole. This is part of the health company I was involved in. There is this <clears throat> quantum reset. It actually regulates all your hormones, your health, your weight control, everything. So having mornings to myself is 
absolutely essential. So I don't usually do morning calls, <laughs> but um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I just I just need that space, and if I don't have that space for myself to start the day with the right intentions, the grounding, the swim in the ocean, it's um, I'm not up to a good start. So that's essential, and then having some sort of movement. You mentioned movement before. Uh, to me, that's a really core part of who I am. I have to move, whether it's dance or uh, some sort of workout. Um, mm. So those are the two key things, the morning time to myself, and at some point in the day, some sort of movement, they're essential. Mm. Everybody, I mean, I'm just curious about what people do because we're all, you know, there's quite a bit of pressure, you know, from a lot of the apps around meditation, around mindfulness, um, the health industry, keeping the body beautiful. There's a whole lot of pressure when you think about it. Um, and really, it's about selling goods and services. Uh, so it's it's once again it's a capitalistic economic market that you know we all we all have to find a way to to live and pay for services and um, and all that sort of stuff. But the pressure the pressure is on for for more of a holistic life these days. I find not just work work work. And anyone I talk to, um, there's been a significant thing in their life, uh, whether it was. At, uh, at something they've investigated or researched or an author that they re have really followed, somebody that, that has meant a great deal to them, a major illness or change uh, to the circumstances. And you've talked an, about a, a number of times where you've, you've lost your business. Um, so major change and had to reset and start again. Um, you know, but even, even a, a following of um, philosophy, a religion, uh, a faith, um, so is this, apart from your losing your businesses and then discovering the human design, has there been anything else that's been a significant influence for you in how you show up now? Oh, a lot of things, oh. like countless things. They're all bits and pieces of the puzzle. You know, a, a very profound thing I learned as a kid, or 22 actually, I was doing at a security company and um, we were doing bodyguarding and all sorts of stuff and not something I set out to do, but just kind of fell into it because there was an opportunity where I was doing some consulting marketing for a company that emerged and I made some friends with these previous directors and just fell into it somehow. But one of the directors was a indigenous gentleman and very scary looking character, tattoos from head to toe and you know, really he looked bad, right? But he was a healer. And he was a really funny, charismatic leader. And, you know, he's, he'd run around town with guns on him all the time. And I just thought, this guy's fearless and he's hilarious. But he, he's not an evil person. He's a, he was a healer. And then when one day an, an event happened where one of the guys working with us had broken his wrist, and two days later it was, it was perfect. And I couldn't believe it. I, this is me at 22 going, you're shitting me. You are full of it. And they kept it quiet. They're all Indigenous and they didn't, they didn't tell me about it and um, they didn't want to share it with me. And eventually he shared it with me and took me out to a family in Blacktown where he did this work and I, I couldn't comprehend what I was seeing. I saw he'd heal this, this family. He, he, what essentially he was doing was pulling out trauma out of the entire family's body. And it was about 40 minutes to an hour for each person. And, the, and each person was, was screaming in emotional pain, all the trauma. And one, once he had told me the things that had happened to those people, because he can feel it as it's passing through, and he's channeling that into the earth. And I just thought, are you kidding me? Like, I don't know what to say. I can't validate that because I can't see the energy. I can see the, the experience that people are going through, but I cannot comprehend what's taking place here because I have no knowledge of how this world works. I was, I was a 22-year-old. So that was a big eye-opener. And that, that like, I think five years before I even revisited, it was such a, but this is too much at 22. But I'll never forget it. And it's the late, late 20s, I started meeting a lot more people that could do different things. And um, I started to pay attention by the time I was 30, 31. And mm. there's been a lot of events that have led me to where I am now. So yes, there's, there's when you see things you can't explain, and you see the transformation that these people went through. I mean, this, this guy, the, the, the husband had, um, he had gout severely. He had depression, he had all these things going on. A month later, he, was, he looked like a different person. All this energy and I, 
so now I sort of look at people now and I can see certain things in them. I can see, and we can all feel this. There's certain teachers out there that teach this as part of the superconscious and your intuition where you can feel into someone's aura and energy. You can actually feel what they're going through. Mm. And you can actually articulate that back to them. It's like, hey, yeah, you, you experienced this, this, and this, and this. And it's just like, whoa, how did you know that? So we're all yeah. capable of that. And, well, often uh, we we have a mask, don't we? We actually have, have some masks on that try to hide hide that. And uh, it would it has been known that if you let those masks down, that's a sign of weakness. You don't, you know, the, you, you don't allow anyone in. But they're, they're um, I like what you said about paying attention. We often have got, you think back on things, you go, that'd be right, that's why. That's, that's probably an explanation about why this has happened or I didn't take notice at the time. I wasn't ready. I wasn't open to listening to it. And I think as a 22-year-old um, young man, um, I would agree with you. Yeah, there's, there's things that happen. But yeah. it made you, it's made you curious enough to keep paying attention um, yes. over that decade when you said, you know, you've got up to about 30, you're recognising it. Yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing that with me. Um, I didn't, I usually, uh, the joy that I get out of having these connections and conversations about thriving is that somebody shares something that I really didn't know or didn't expect to hear. And I, and I like, I, I think that's the, that's the gold and all this. That's the joy in doing, having conversations with you. <laughs> yeah, and me too. It's actually, and I'm sure most people would, would, would be very, or feel very confronted with that kind of information too. So um, yeah. it's encouraged yeah. people to keep an open mind and, you know, challenge, challenge the status quo, challenge your own beliefs. Well, that's part of our learning, isn't it? Um, to to reflect on what it is that we're hearing, seeing, feeling, and um, and then think about what we what we know and what we we're willing to explore. I think Absolutely. that's the keeping that curiosity alive. I've got a question for you, Kerry. Okay, <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> sure. And it's about leadership. I would love to know from your experience and all the people you've spoken to what you would identify as the top qualities of, of a of a brilliant leader what what does a brilliant leader possess that that others don't because a lot of managers in, in jobs but from my experience most of them are not leaders they're, they're just managers so what have you witnessed and experienced that you could articulate mm. as the, the top qualities of a of a brilliant leader it's a good question isn't it because we've got examples of leadership at the moment and past decades, past centuries, that we either have agreed with or a, a feel are wanting. I think that you have to be a, a, a leader that really respects and likes people. Doesn't necessarily have to be the captain of the ship, always upfront driven by ego, that you actually have a no, notion of serving others. So you lead, you can lead from the middle, you can lead from the back. But number one is that you actually have to like people, that you're not in this for your own gratification. You're in this to connect and collaborate and move forward together um, to be able to solve, to, to, to look at ways of solutions that are for the good of humanity, not against humanity and not in a power base that keeps certain people powerless um, and um, for me it's human-centered that's what a leadership needs to be human-centered and in that human-centeredness you can be strategic you can be um, the relational aspect of your leadership is critical um, people are still our common denominator as far as I know we even though we are now uh, watching a pandemic come through um, go across the globe um in all of that we have humanness and you know it's it's our family it's not just those that are related to us through genes or blood um it's actually we're related to all of us we share this earth uh, we, we are here to share not to overpower to subject cruelness to to down you know to, to down For people to be downtrodden, um, I think that's what I'm looking for, and I haven't expressed it very well. But 
for me, it's it's all about no ego, really. You just you you just know that you've got something that you want to offer. So collectively, we can do a, a better job together. It's a bit long winded, isn't it? <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I really do. I, obviously, you've, you've had some great conversations with some amazing people. So um, and some very different experiences to me. So I value your input and thanks for sharing. Oh, that's all right. Um, thank you for asking. Uh, and listeners, I'm sure you can instantly think of someone that you've worked with um, or live with who you would consider to be a pretty pretty good leader and someone who, who would be your worst or most difficult. And so we look at the attributes of those people. We look at their behaviours, actually. It's how we behave. Um, and when we get a voice and when we get some... Uh, momentum behind that voice uh, that's giving us a sign that's telling us we should be listening we should be listening to each other um, so I'm going to ask you one last thing Paul and then you can go and get your morning back because that's <laughs> that's that's a very important thing for you hopefully you'll be down uh, having a swim uh, to, to refresh I um I have to admit when you said that you um, you actually like to swim and there's a little bit of cold water cold water therapy in that as well, I um, I said to somebody last week, oh, I've just I've just had a swim and they said, are you stark raving mad? I said, well, the water's about sixteen. I said it's been delicious. It's delicious. And they went, you must be crazy. I said, well, I'm not a Will Hoff fan. Uh, I don't do his cold water therapy and all that sort of stuff. But I said there is something about how you feel after you have that swim. And um, the water temp here uh, along the east coast uh, of Australia has been really lovely, even though the whales are migrating. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I'm happy to get into the water. So last question. We're living in an environment that's constantly changing and evolving, bringing with it lots of challenges. Um, what do you believe is vital for not only you, but all of us across the globe in our families, our businesses, you know, our employment, whatever it is that we're doing, what do you think is one vital thing that we should we should really embrace to take us forward? I don't know how to answer that in a succinct way. Um, we're going through the, the biggest transformation of our time. And I think the best thing we can do is is brace ourselves for that there's a paradigm shift coming it's happening right now and as a collective we need to let go of this separatism attitude that we've had in this this programming i think um the only way we've i mean the reason we've got here in the first place is because we've, we've been controlled we've been separated through different religions through through different races through different genders through different agendas and that's that's not who we are you know, the universe is abundant mm -hmm. by nature and we've been programmed for scarcity and competition. And I, my biggest thing is we need to work together and regardless of your beliefs, your background, we need to start thinking as a collective around how we're going to solve some of our biggest challenges. And, and in doing that, we need to be, as you said, heart-centred. We need to think about the greater good of the planet and everyone on the planet. And we need to be open to letting go of our beliefs because I can guarantee most of our beliefs are all just program running. And that's been one of my biggest lessons is to not be attached to my beliefs, be constantly seeking new evidence to support a better future, to support a change that we all want to see in this world. And that's the hard part. Change management for all the leaders out there is, is difficult best mm. and i just encourage everyone to to be open to possibilities and to challenge every single belief you have um, just because someone tells you something doesn't mean it's real um, we've lost the ability to ask for evidence and challenge the status quo mm. because that's part of how we've been trained and i can guarantee you right now that, that in, in your everyday life everyone can go out there and start to challenge what they've been told and find new evidence and thus find a new belief and that's just going to continually evolve and evolve and evolve until we actually come to a solution where we've actually got a much better future and a much better planet. Everyone's happier. Everyone's doing much better. Everyone's thriving, so to speak. Mm. But it starts with us. You know, we can't try and change anybody else. It all starts within. So we have to go inwards. 
doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, Paul, I've had a, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation this morning. So thank you very much for, for uh, sharing with us. If people uh, would like to know more about you, contact you, what's your best um, contact point? Sure. Uh, Paul B for Bravo, Shepherd, S H E P H E I D dot com. So paulbshepherd.com. Uh, there's a quiz on there people can take. You can reach out for a, uh, a brief conversation. And if anyone's interested in getting a, a BG5 slash human design overview, I have got a Facebook group, uh, which I don't know how long that's going to stay up because Facebook seems to delete people whenever they feel like it. But um, it's called Soul Purpose Mastery, S O U L, Purpose yep. Mastery. Join the conversation. Um, every week I give, do a giveaway. So it's about an hour of my time plus a few hours worth of research to, to present something to you that will be life-changing, guaranteed. Oh, wonderful. Well, that's, that's something to, to um, make sure we, we stick in the diary, put down and do. Listeners, thank, if you'd like to know more about what I do, carriebenedette.com is where you'll find me. I'm on all socials as well. Um, but our, our thriving conversations are, are just the gem um, for your walk, your downtime, whatever it is, podcasts really um, are, are firing up. Uh, we have a lot of uh, expertise, but we also have a lot of awesome conversations around discovery and, and continual learning. So if you do enjoy the podcast, love you to give uh, a little bit of a thumbs up. A review is always wonderful. Um, one of the great things that happened uh, for the podcast this week was we hit 3,000 downloads. So we're up 1,000 from two weeks ago. So I'm really excited about that. So um, when I have guests such as Paul Shepherd, um, that makes your listening far better and uh, my conversations totally riveting and, and really joyful. Soul-inspired transformation is really what we're on about and exactly what Paul is on about. So, Paul, thank you once again for being my guest today. Um, I look forward to further conversations uh, and I look forward to an awesome weekend, but also hopefully an awesome future. Thanks very much. Thanks, Bye, Karen. everybody. Just Thanks, remember, Lucy. you are precious and your thriving matters. Bye for now. Thanks, Paul. I'm Carrie Benedette. And this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, 